welcome to the penultimate episode of season four of I'd Rather Be Reading. I'll introduce today's guest, Christine Porath, when we cue into our interview. But as someone who loves leadership and studies it, I have to say that Christine's newest book, Mastering Community, The Surprising Ways Coming Together Moves Us from Surviving to Thriving, is a game changer for leaders who are transforming teams large and small. This is my leadership book pick of the year. In the book, Christine quotes Jeremy Andrus as saying, as a leader, you have to protect culture with your life. There is nothing more important you do than protecting your culture. Mastering community is a key way to do just that. Take a listen. I am so thrilled to have on the show today, Christine Porath, author of Mastering Community, The Surprising Ways Coming Together Moves Us from Surviving to Thriving. This is a book about leadership, about happiness, about better quality of life. It is a must read. Now, you might know Christine's work from her book, Mastering Civility, and I am so excited to chat with her today. A little bit about Christine. She is a tenured professor at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business, and in addition to her work as an author, is a consultant who works with leading organizations, think Google, the United Nations, the World Bank, Microsoft, Marriott, Verizon, Ford, and more to help people and communities thrive. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you here. So after the success of Mastering Civility, what gave you the idea to tackle Mastering Community, which on a high level is about the impact and importance of building thriving communities? Yeah, well, a lot of my research uh, has focused on that area, but the real cause for it was uh, getting to see my brother and Mike and he and his wife build the Mighty, which is the largest digital healthcare community in the world. And just being kind of having like a front row seat to that and seeing how they were helping so many people. Uh, And so it just, it kind of caused me to focus more on like, if we build communities and find communities to join, we can help cure isolation and which is at the root of a lot of people's issues. And so uh, it just, it kind of dovetailed with a lot of the research that I had done, but the real inspiration was Mike and the Mighty. Yeah, well, that's a perfect segue to my next question. So you write in the book about despite we as humans deep desire to feel a sense of belonging, we often feel isolated and technology and modern workplace practices, especially in COVID have led us to feel even more disconnected. So why have our happiness levels decreased as our human interactions have decreased? What is the connection there? Well, I mean, one of the big three pillars of human growth is uh, relatedness or connection, if you think of it that way, or community, you know, whatever the word you choose, but it's this idea of we, we are desperate to connect with people. And so I think that when that's missing or when we're getting less of that, a lot of people find themselves suffering. You know, it's, um, it's a tough thing to fill, you know, avoid, um, particularly, I think, with trends like you know, we know our neighbors less. Um, there's less like 
opportunities or paths for communities for most people. And this was true with like pre-pandemic. So it's obviously only gotten a lot worse. But I think if you, um, there was a a gentleman, Robert Putnam, that wrote a book on bowling alone decades Mm -hmm. ago. And so he was already seeing these trends where we're just not, we're much more isolated. Like we're not running into our neighbors. Not as many people are involved in, let's say, religious communities or, you know, there's just not as much interaction. And there's a lot of potential causes for that. But it, um, I think it leaves a lot of us yearning for more. Yeah, absolutely. And you write in the book that the cure is community. So I want you to tell me a little bit more about that and what you found through your research, but I'm going to quote your own research to you for a second. So here's the point from the book that really fascinated me. When people feel a sense of community at work, you found that they are 74% more engaged and 81% more likely to stay with the organization. They also report 83% higher thriving at work, as well as an internal sense of being energized alive and growing. All I can say to that is, wow. So uh, tell me a little bit, I mean, the whole book is filled with research about why the Cures community, but tell me a little bit more about your research and what you found. Well, I think um, the the first part of it is, are leaders able to unite people, which uh, again is, I think, a huge issue for a lot of people today. We feel like, um, you know, we're very divided. And so if you're able to do that, you create a sense of belonging for people. And I think you create a potentially or hopefully a safe space for them, right? To be vulnerable, to share their issues, to share their ideas, things like that. So I think a focus on how do you bring people together? And if you do so in a way that they feel connected to others, that's where you really unlock people's potential. So I give an example of, and I know that you've talked a lot about, and I think love sports. Um, yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I shared Phil Jackson and Steve Kerr was the one that I actually caught talking about how Phil Jackson was a master at creating what he called like a tribe. And so, you know, it's where players felt super connected to each other and able to show their emotions, able to lean on each other, able to talk tackle like really difficult issues, um, irrespective of like on the court stuff. And, and so, you know, I just thought like, that was a really beautiful example. Um, these shared medical appointments where patients are helping one another was another example of uniting. Um, but there were, and then so many corporate examples, but I think a big part of it also is, are you able to create a place where people feel respected, um, where there's a sense of trust? And so that's a big piece as well. And um, and that hopefully inspires this idea of we're able to share radical candor with each other, like give and receive feedback that helps us kind of raise our game or lift us in different ways, which is really challenging, you know, like it's uncomfortable to give that kind of feedback. But again, if you can create this safe space, this community, all of these things are much more likely to happen. And all of them are attached to outcomes you mentioned, like better performance, and you're more engaged, and you're more likely to stay and things like that. So and and just the idea of taking care of each other. So, you know, I give corporate examples of this, but also later the idea of us looking out for each other, like we truly are connected. And so if we're able to do that, it amplifies everything. And 
I'd say one of the examples that I love that kind of revealed this, this idea of like everything is better <laughs> together if you're mm-hmm. able to do this is like the stuff on exercise, which is, you know, if you're working out in a group, it, you know, it amplifies things and the, the effects for you. <laughs> so yeah. I think there's so many examples of this that it was hard to deny um, to myself, you know, who thought, yeah. well, maybe there's some areas where this doesn't pay, but what kept showing up is like, if you're able to plug in to a group of people kind of doing this and feel like you're part of something, it really tends to increase, you know, your health, your well-being, your performance, your happiness, all of that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And community matters so much. I mean, you write in the book that you've worked at places with a strong sense of community and places with a weak sense of community, as have I, and as mm-hmm. have most people, I guess, and that it really does make a difference. So the book distills your research down to six actionable steps. People love a good actionable step. You have six that yeah. companies can undertake to build community. So on a high level, um, I'll name them out for the listener right now, sharing information, unleashing people, creating a respectful environment. You just mentioned this one, practicing radical candor, providing a sense of meaning and boosting member well-being. So you'll listeners, you'll have to read the book to get the deep dive on each of those six, but on a high level, why these six? Well, that's what really came out of the research. So uh, over a couple decades, uh, the main part being two large studies. So one was across six different organizations in all different industries um, where we were looking at like, what are the levers that leaders can use or what are the things in the environment that increase um, or can potentially, if they're missing, decrease people's thriving. And those were the big six. Um, And then, you know, similarly in other research like that, where big data sets like 20,000 people, 10,000 people. And so those things kept appearing as the big movers and and much more so than we typically see, meaning like it was really, those things really affect people deeply. (laughs) And so um, I just thought it was a way to try to highlight if you're a leader or a coach or whatever, even a peer, because you can focus on improving those things for others, that that's really a a way to kind of focus um, at what moves the needle for people, what lifts people up, what makes them feel better and perform better. Yeah. And I want to tell you, I'm obsessed with, I can't remember which of the big six this was under, um, but I'm obsessed with the passage in the book about the importance of eliminating the fear of failure in Mm. the workplace. That is for me, that is so important as far as psychological safety goes. So what positive impact can eliminating or at least minimalizing the fear of failure have on, on, folks, psychological safety? Well, I think it, what it really does is it makes them feel like it's okay um, to throw out whether it's, you know, a, a really kind of crazy idea or, you know, to stretch themselves, to take risks, to report um, potential errors or issues, uh, to speak up in any way. Um, also to just be vulnerable. So like, what do you need? You know, um, especially in like today's current environment, like if you're suffering mental health wise, or if you are having to care for a family member or, you know, whatever it is that you need speaking up, um, you're not okay. 
you know, you'd be better off doing a project tomorrow versus, you know, working longer hours today, whatever the you know case may be, however big or small it is, if you feel like there's a sense of trust or respect there, this idea of psychological safety you mentioned, um, a lot a lot of things are better. Um, so in the probably the clearest example of this is in healthcare, where you'll get people with less power or status, like nurses speaking up about issues that they see. If they don't do that, you know, you hear about patient deaths. Um, if they feel safe working with that surgeon or that physician, then, you know, they'll speak up and it's okay. <laughs> and, you know, it, so I think that um, it matters a lot on the kind of person level, but it matters a lot to really crucial outcomes like, um, you know, patient safety. Innovation is another one. So, you know, if you don't have people that feel comfortable sharing ideas for what would be a better way to do this or what might we want to eliminate doing, <laughs> it's really bothering people, then you're just not going to probably get the really fantastic ideas or the really um, big issues that could be brought to light. And, and those have extraordinary, you know, impact on outcomes that organizations care about, but they also make us feel better, right? Like it's no fun kind of bringing part of yourself to a team or to work. So I think like on a personal level, I don't think people really want to join, much less stay in environments where they're afraid. Like it's not an okay place to be for long periods. Yeah, no, it's not. And, and they won't stay is, is what, you know, your research is showing is that if they don't have that trust that it, it's just, it's so important. And I hope that every leader listening makes sure that they, everybody just needs to read your book because you uh-huh. say it so much better than I do, but you know, you, you dedicated your entire first book, Mastering Civility to the concept of civility. So, but it, it makes a reemergence in this book as well. So how does civility or respect create stronger, higher performing communities? Well, I think it really ties to the psychological safety issue that you brought up in, in large part. It also makes us feel better. So one of the things that we found in like these social network studies where if you're working with people that are respectful, you're much more likely to pass that on to others. So in other words, there's like a ripple effect. Um, And this happens in, I mean, I think part of the neat thing is we see this happen in really small moments. So, you know, just being mindful of smiling and saying hello to someone or asking how they're doing or listening attentively to someone, that matters. And you show up differently, not only in that particular moment with that person, but likely the next moments throughout your day. Um, So it literally lifts people and, you know, kind of they pass it forward. So it spreads in a really remarkable way. The the catch is that incivility and like the downside when people feel disrespected or made to feel small or disregarded or they don't feel that sense of belonging we just talked about, then they shut down. You know, they don't Uh do the things that we just mentioned. And you see a lot of really negative outcomes. The other thing is that spreads like a virus. So we pass that on. It's like the idea of, you know, you get treated poorly and you don't mean to, but you take it out on someone. Now, a lot of times that may happen on the home front, but, you know, oftentimes it happens in the work front as well. Yeah. And, you know, 
all I have to say is leaders, if you want higher performing teams, you need to grab a copy of this book when it comes out in March, March 8th. So um, I was looking for this statistic. Um, we were speaking about trust a moment ago when we were talking about fear of failure. And the book says that trust is also so important. I agree. It, uh, you write that compared with people at low trust companies, people in high trust companies report 74% less stress, 50% higher productivity and 76% more engagement. That is staggering. Really so much of this, the, uh, you know, minimizing the fear of failure, trust, respect, civility, it just kind of comes down to, you've got to treat your people like people, like human beings and not machines. And you've got to treat them like they're living, breathing souls and not just someone there to do the job. I hope I'm making some sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the stories that I love, uh, it's its not really in this book as much as the Mastering Civility book, uh, but Doug Conant, who was CEO of Campbell's, actually talked about how it, civility, you know, turned Campbell's around. So he went there when it was doing terribly. You know, they had lost half a market share. They had laid a lot of people off. A Gallup manager said it was the least engaged organization that they had ever measured. Uh, and as he drove up to work, he thought it looked like a minimum security prison. There was like barbed wire around wow. the, you know, um, parking lot. There were guard towers. It just, it felt terrible. And he just, um, he was able to turn it around within seven years. Um, and they were setting all time records within nine years and winning awards for best place to work, most ethical company, most diverse company. And so I asked him, like, how did you do this? And for him, he said it really came down to being tough-minded on standards, but tender-hearted with people. So like you say, well, and, that's it. and yeah, and touch points, you know, so these brief daily interactions that he'd have with people. And so if you focus on those, you'll get a lot of this right. Wow. Wow. Um, this it's so good. The book is, I'm going to have to read it. You know, I'm not a, I'm, I'm nowhere near CEO level. I mean, I guess I'm the CEO of my own life, but I'm not yeah. of, of Campbell's level teams yet, but it's something that we all should read because if we are not in leadership positions, we should expect this. If we, we are in leadership positions, we should enact this. And you close the book by writing organizations and communities, if approached with the right perspective can be bright spots for people in society. They can be the place where we practice coming together to unite and support one another. The place where we learn that even the smallest actions can make a difference for someone else in our community. So Christine, this book is really a love letter to the power of community. What do you hope readers take away from the book? Well, I hope it, it inspires them to be those kind of people, you know, that um, care for others, like you said, um, in a conversation with Doug Conant just last week, he actually, uh, he, you know, was very kind about the feedback, but he said, you know, I think it boils down to caring for people, you know, like if you had to pick one thing, so just as you articulated too. And so I hope that people think twice about you know, caring for one another, especially when so many people are hurting, uh, especially when so many people are feeling isolated. And, you know, I hope that for leaders, they get that it pays to focus on community 
And I even hope at the personal level that it inspires people to make decisions about prioritizing connection and community. Um, whether that's in your personal life, you know, making sure that you have the time and space to do that, maybe joining some groups, maybe getting out there again, you know, especially because so many of us have been kind of locked down for a while. Um, and then also, you know, finding ways to do that in the workplace as well. Uh, so, and if you have to make changes, make changes, because I think it's that important. I mean, that, at a personal level, it affected me deeply, you know, kind of seeing this um, across different <laughs> outcomes and lines of research uh, that that it matters so much. And, and that's really what life boils down to in a way is like you hear that, you know, when people are on their deathbed, they think about relationships like that's the most important thing. It wasn't how much money they made or what kind of job they had or their title, but it really is about you know, their connections with others. And so that really, um, I hope is one of the messages, uh, from the book. Absolutely. Well, mastering community, the surprising ways coming together moves us from surviving to thriving is out March 8th. Thank you so much again for joining me today. I enjoyed this book so much. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Christine. Mastering Community is out March 8th. Well, friends, next week is our season four finale episode, and we're talking about anxiety. Could it actually be good for us? We're digging in deep next week. See you then.